Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to episode two with Damon Burton. Damon is the founder and CEO of a highly successful SEO agency. In the previous episode, we discussed how Damon is able to set effective boundaries to balance work and family life. We also talked about Damon's journey to become a successful SEO expert and entrepreneur. In this episode, Damon will be debunking three common SEO myths and I'll share a few tips on how to improve our SEO. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. So the first question I have is about SEO myths. What do you think are the most common search engine optimization myths? One that just will not die. I don't, I don't think it's as common as it used to be, at least, at least for people that are like somewhat familiar or somewhat follow SEO, but one that I surprisingly still get a few times a year. And I just got two days ago was, um, are you going to put my keywords in all those hidden places? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like keyword stuffing. So keyword stuffing doesn't work for a variety of reasons you know, probably the most relevant reasons are that as marketers, a majority of them like to abuse things. So the concept of keyword stuffing has been abused so extensively that Google's kind of eliminated that possibility of having any value. And then especially when, when somebody says, are you just going to hide it in places? So if it's, if you put keywords in a way that a real person can't see it, then Google can segment and identify that a real person can't see it. Therefore, they are going to devalue it anyway. So you can only rank for what Google can read, for what other people can read. So you can't, through manipulated, manipulative processes, you can't hide stuff anymore. It just doesn't work. Now, you can actually do more harm than good too. Like, let's say you just say, whatever, I'm just going to shove a bunch of keywords in there. Well, you can have, um, you know, you can do more harm than good by having just keyword stuff content because Google will pay attention to other things. They'll pay attention to what's called bounce rate. So where people come to your website, depending on how long they stay versus how, how quickly they leave, it's called a bounce rate. So if you have poorly written content or it's stuffed with keywords and so it doesn't read well, which kind of forces people to abandon it, then you're, you're not going to get any gains from that. And if your bounce rate is too high, Google's going to say, well, this website must not be good as the others. Therefore, we don't want to look bad by sending people to it. So we're going to send people to it less. So keyword stuffing is one. Um, backlinks is probably another topic. So backlinks are one, another website links to your website. And those links count as a vote in the popularity contest. Now, backlinks will probably always have some value but they are not the only way to do SEO. In fact, I would say the majority of our clients were pretty passive about backlinks. And instead we lean on a well-strategized content play that will attract backlinks naturally. So you have better backlinks, more relevant backlinks and backlinks that stick longer. So I think some people obsess excessively over the value of backlinks. Um, those, are the, those are the two the first that come to mind right off the top of my head. I know that Google recently rolled out a new algorithm or they've been talking about rolling out a new algorithm that was supposedly going to hit in January. I know a lot of people saw a lot of it hitting before January. Mm -hmm. Um, You wanna talk about Google's newest algorithm 
And what are the most important factors that determine the authority of a, of a page or a site? It's an interesting topic that I think you'll probably be surprised about the answer is I, I actually don't get too worried about the intricacies of Google's new algorithms because if you have to care that much, then it means you're cutting corners and eventually it's going to catch up to you. So I focus on the core concepts and principles of SEO and we've never had a client get a penalty. We've never had a client have a substantial negative impact. Um, more often than not, if, if the majority of our clients aren't just neutral after an algorithm change, they're up. So I've, um, and I think a lot of that kind of relates to the previous comment about, you know, backlinks. Um, so if you think about, let's, let's, let's talk about some of the major algorithm, the major historical algorithms that Google's rolled out. So in 2011, Google came out with an algorithm update called Panda. Panda focused on good content. So before Panda, a lot of people would take content from other websites and do what's called spinning, where you kind of shuffle around synonyms and paragraphs, um, or they would scrape content, which is just like stealing it from other websites. And that used to work to an extent. And then when that algorithm came along, it starts to look at the uniqueness of content and how fresh it is. And so if we compare that to, I'll just list off a couple algorithms, then I'll come full circle as to, to why I don't really get too concerned about new algorithm updates. So another one was in 2012, there was Google Penguin and that focused on backlinks. So prior to Penguin, the game of backlinks was quantity over quality. Well, immediately after Penguin, backlinks became, the, the relevance of quality became way more important than the quantity because Google identified that, that people were just abusing it. So then you fast forward to, let's say 2016, then this is when mobile get-in came out where Google was really emphasizing the value of mobile-friendly web designs. Now, if you think about any of those, nothing is new. Like the the backlink algorithm update was focus on quality. The content algorithm update was focus on quality. The mobile get an update for mobile friendly designs was focus on, you know, page speed, a good site structure, quality content. And then even nowadays, a lot of times I get asked about voice. Well, what about voice search? It's the same freaking thing. Like nobody's over here on the other side of a, of a website recording voice drops and then uploading it to their website. The way that Google identifies how to give a voice response back is based on which website does Google trust for the question, which one can access the quickest and what one has valuable content. It's the same thing, good page load, good user experience, good content. So if you just focus on delivering you know, good content, and I know that sounds cliche, like content is king and do good content, but maybe we talk next about how you strategize good content, but it's really true. Like if you position yourself to become an authority where you write unique content, that isn't the same stuff over and over or other people's repurposed content and put a unique spin on things and can solve your readers problems and pain points, then that's the content that's going to rank well. So we always focus on those basics of good page speed, good site structure, let Google find everything easily and identify what product or service you offer, and then position yourself as an authority based on how you present that content in an easy navigable website. So, um, Long story short, I don't care about algorithm updates because as long as you're not trying to game the system, you're always going to be on the upside. Yeah. Okay. So you just brought up good content. What is your strategy for creating good SEO content? 
Well, man, there's a lot of layers to that. The, uh, it kind of starts with, with keyword research because you, you want to write content that supports what you can monetize. He, a lot of SEOs will just take the shotgun approach or they'll just go see what other people are talking about and then just go, Oh, let's write about that too. Or they'll just take a, the kind of their gut reaction say, well, I think this is relevant and they'll just write about whatever. So the problem with that is everybody else is doing that too. And then it, it also doesn't align. It doesn't necessarily align with buyer intent. So I'll give you a great example with, with the Utah jazz. So where we start is we go, okay, what can this campaign monetize? Cause you don't want to rank number one on Google for just a random word for random bragging rights. You want to rank on page one for something that you can profit from. So you do your research of what are people searching for? What keyword is more relevant to my audience or my product or service. And just because it has high competition or low search volume doesn't mean you say no. In fact, a lot of the times the words that have low search volume are the best ones to target because they are the most immediately relevant to your product or service. So if you, if you compare it, would you rather have a people that a word that people search a thousand times and you might get one conversion, or would you rather have a word that people only search a hundred times, but you get 10 conversions, like the payout is what matters. So relevancy is where you start. Then you start going, okay, now what type of content can we create that will support those targets? So a fun example was working with the Utah jazz where we said, okay, well, we need to sell, you know, we need to attract buyers for newer client, newer players like Donovan Mitchell. But then we also want to sell merchandise for legacy players like Carl Malone. And so let's look into what are people searching about these players? There's going to be your obvious stuff, like what was Carl Malone's, you know, statistics, his highest score, whatever. But one that came up during that research process that the client never thought of, that we would have never thought of, that would only reveal itself in the data was how did Carl Malone die? Because Carl Malone's not dead. <laughs> so what, what makes that such a great topic to write about is nobody else is going to be writing about it. And it doesn't matter that the customer is wrong. That is what they're wanting to know. So what you do is even though it's the wrong question, you come with it, come to it with the right answer. So the example in that case was, okay, now you can produce a piece of content that says, here are the 10 myths of how Carmel died. That way it addresses our concern. You're the only one talking about it. It's immediately related to, to the buyer intent because it's a person that wants to know specifically about Carl Malone, who that implies they're likely a fan of them. You present the content and then by the way, buy his jersey. So it really focuses on what you can monetize and, and then aligning that with buyer intent. How can you connect those two dots? I love it. Um, in your book, you have a section about being human. Can you talk to me a little bit about why it's so important to be human in the SEO process and what that even means? Man, that's the, that's the best part of this. So that that's, that this is the perfect example of why I was saying earlier, I like doing podcasts and webinars and things like that is the, is the human approach. Um, and I can actually give a very specific example that also ties back to the jazz as well. But before I tell you the jazz story, um, there's such a rewarding part to being human and being vulnerable and sharing your stories. And I think there's a lot of layers to that. I think one layer is social media, like social media is such a great opportunity to showcase things, but it's, it's this giant highlight reel. And so we're so numb to 
the Lamborghinis and the beach homes and the perfect bodies that when somebody comes in there and is like, look, here's me, here's my dirty home. My kids just broke whatever, but I had a good day because I did this with a client. Like those are standing out more because they're, you're re- you're more relatable. You're like, yeah, I'm a parent too. Or I have, I have bad days too. And so those get way more traction, at least where it matters. Um, than the Lamborghini pictures. I keep saying Lamborghini because I, I just made a, a post about I this last that week. Blog it's, it's, yeah. It's, am I an influencer now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my wife and I, we went to Vegas a couple of weeks ago and there's this place out there called exotics racing where you can go rent like a sports car. You, you don't even rent it. You just pay to do laps. And so you can max out and do like 150, 160 miles per hour on this track. And so of course we got pictures. And, um, so on the same topic, it was just like the influencer, influencer, influencer stuff that you see all the time. And, and it gets kind of cringy. And so I kind of came at it from the other angle and the post was, Hey, now that I posted a picture in a Lamborghini, do you trust me more? Am I now more of an expert? And the answer is no. And so when you see those things where people come at it and proactively diffuse, like just all the BS, it just makes you more relatable or at the very least more trustworthy. So like a lot of times when I post on social media, actually all the time, I would challenge anybody to go through any of my social media, at least in the last two years. And you will not find, you probably won't find a single call to action. I don't send anybody to an email list. I don't send anybody to a landing page. Instead, what I do is I get on there and I say, look, here's a, here's a common problem with SEO, or here's a common problem with business, or here's a common problem with being a parent. Here's a common problem with running a remote team. And here's the answer, the end. And so what happens is people relate to you more. They trust you more and they build the subconscious relationship with you. They, you can, you continue to stay top of mind. You reiterate your expertise. So when they are ready for what you offer, there is zero sales. They come to you and they go, Nathan, here's my money. How do we start? So you have a a scalable, quantifiable return and you have a better client because they know what you do. You've already answered half the questions. There's less of a process of having to um, establish the trust with them. And they're more willing to help you help them do a better campaign or whatever it is that you sell. So it's, it's, been, it's been rewarding personally. It's been quantifiably financially beneficial. Um, some of the random things that have come with it is I've had probably once I had one this morning, probably once a week, I get a private message that is, thank you so much for showing up and talking about this topic or whatever. Like you, you build these relationships that you couldn't in any other way. Um, even, even on my team side, on the employee side, the vulnerability that I expose them to and the, and the content. And like, even when I met talked to my remote team, um, you know, my team, I have 20, 20 employees. We're going to be pushing 25, 30 here in the next couple of weeks. And I know we talked before we hit record, like talking about running a remote team, but I've never met last year. I met a few of them, but other than that one time before COVID hit, I've never met any of them in 14 years. And even though I've met a few, I've still haven't met the majority of them in person. But the reason why I bring them up is even before meeting, even before when I met some of them last year, I've had two of them ask me to be a godfather. I had one damn near name their kid after me and I kind of talked them out of it. 
<laughs> and then, um, you know, I've, I've been, the private message this morning was about how you're a mentor figure. Um, one of my favorite stories was one of my team members, um, the two of them that are married, um, are in the Philippines and they asked if I would be in their wedding. And at the time my, my wife was pregnant with our daughter and their wedding was kind of in the third trimester. And so I told, I said, Hey, you know, I'd love to, but I just don't feel comfortable leaving my wife on the other side of the world when she's that close. So what started as a joke ended up being reality. They went and ordered some five eleven, six foot. They went and ordered like a six foot tall life-size cardboard cutout of, of me from a picture where I'm dressed in like slacks and a button up. I have pictures of cardboard. His name's cardboard Damon. <laughs> I have pictures of cardboard Damon in a wedding in the Philippines, like in the wedding, in the pictures, in the line behind the bride and groom. And it's such a funny story, but like, if you look at what that means behind, behind the, the funny side of it is like just the emotional ties and connection for someone to be willing to go to that extent to have an artificial figure representation of you be in a wedding. Like those are things you can't, like, you can't, you can't do those without being vulnerable and being human. Um, maybe I'll wrap up with, with the jazz story and being human. So the way I got the, the, the way that we started working with the jazz was I made a post on LinkedIn. Um, it resonated with somebody that gentleman reached out to me and said, Hey, we're considering SEO. Can you meet? Um, they happen to be local. And so I went and met him in person, you know, a week or so later, had a meeting with them. They called me like an hour later and said, you know, what's interesting about most marketing meetings is it's not too often that you don't leave more confused, but you came in and said, not only here's why we should work with you, but you also said, here's why you should not consider SEO. You talked about why it takes a long time, but you explained why you didn't just say that you got to stick with us for a year and trust us. And so they ended up becoming a client. They were a client for only two weeks before they said, Hey, I want to introduce you to my neighbor. So the neighbor ends up working for this law firm and they end up becoming a client. So here we are two and a half, three weeks into one LinkedIn post. We got two clients one week into the attorney client. He says, Hey, can I introduce you to the Utah jazz? And so of course the answer was yes. But then also immediately in my head was like, who are you? Like, why, why are you introducing me at, 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 to this type of organization? And so come to find out, he was the exiting vice president of their retail division. And he was going to help his family do the marketing that his family was behind the law firm. So it was like a family play. And so some of his last responsibilities with the jazz is they just organized the team store. And some of his last responsibilities were to fill the marketing roles and so we ended up getting the contract. So here we are three weeks, maybe a month max. We got three new clients from one post that led to a lead because of vulnerability, which led to another lead because of transparency, which led to another lead because of transparency. And, you know, I could have spent a million dollars on paid ads, flyers, print media, Facebook ads, like you name it. I would have never got into the door to have a discussion with the Utah jazz. And it was entirely because that opportunity presented itself 100% exclusively because of transparency and vulnerability. Can you tell me about the future? What do you think the future of SEO is? Um, I'm going to lean back on kind of what we, we touched on where um, 
it's nothing too crazy. It's going to be mm-hmm. the same core principles. Um, you know, I gave the voice example and I, if you think about whatever the future holds, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, like whatever it is that we don't even know that doesn't exist yet, it's probably going to lean on the same things, which is trustworthy, unique content that's accessible quickly in an easy way. So I think as long as you understand the importance of the, the slow and steady route, the authoritative route and establishing yourself as being credible. Um, I don't think you really have to care so much what the future is and you'll just, you'll just already be there. You, you'll just be there proactively instead of having to react. Thank you so much, Damon, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, don't attempt to use keyword stuffing. Number two, Seek after quality backlinks, not quantity of low quality backlinks. Number three, as long as we are creating quality content that people want to read and link to, we probably don't need to be worried very much about Google's latest algorithm. Number four, good content is unique, easily accessible, speaks to our readers' problems and pain points, and puts us in a position of authority to speak to those things. Number five, be human on social media and with our teams to establish strong relationships. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Damon or connect with him or his business, you can find him on LinkedIn and seonational.com and we'll include links to those in the blog post for this episode. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast and YouTube channel. And number three, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. What are the best SEO strategies you have used? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining us for this episode and best wishes on your monetization endeavors. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.